Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, and welcome back to, or if it's your first time, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I designed this podcast about five and a half years ago because I wanted access to really smart people who were doing cool things because I know that one thing is true and that is success leaves clues. So if you can get around people who are having some pretty cool success, they can't help it. They leave little nuggets, little ideas, little theories behind, and you can follow along and pick those things up. So we are now well over 530 episodes and five and a half years into this podcast. And I'll tell you what, I keep learning and I hope that you do too. So if you like cool things entrepreneurs do, please go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast love and uh, leave a review and make sure you subscribe. But the most important thing, go tell your friends. When I meet people who listen to this podcast, they tell me they found it because someone else told them, hey, check it out. So before the day is over, go tell someone, check out this podcast. So I'm excited today because we've got an interview with Ruben Abu Tarabi, and he is the CEO of the Austin Agency. We're going to find out a little bit about what they do to help their clients be more successful. Hey, Ruben, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Honored to be here. Hey, I don't read those bios that the PR people send. So why don't you give us all a little bit about your background and what is the Austin Agency? Absolutely. So I'm uh, originally from Europe, came to the United States as, to go to college, fell in love with the country, decided to stay. And actually, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a begrudging entrepreneur. I, I'm, I, it wasn't my first choice. I never thought I'd become an entrepreneur. But life works out that way. Sometimes you take some big risks and pay some big bets. And here we are today. And the Austin Agency was formed back in 2012. Today, we are uh, the only agency I know of in the sales, marketing, business development, or product development arena that will take on the role of a phantom competitor. We constitute a red team using decision makers from your target market as our source of information. And we think through, if we had six to 12 weeks, how would we go about disrupting your market share? How would we compete against you? And so we end up testing for our clients their messaging, their price, their value proposition, finding areas of growth that they can tap into before a well-funded uh, startup with some aggressive entrepreneur you never heard of comes along and in three years <laughs> takes 50% of your market share. So I love this idea of a phantom competitor. I don't know that, I mean, I've, I've heard of some similar things. I don't know if I've heard that term. And when I was reading up about you and I saw that, I thought, oh my God, I want a phantom competitor. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this whole concept and why it's a good idea to unpack yourself through the eyes of this possible 
fictitious, but ahead of the game competitor? Well, I think it's, thank you, first of all, for the compliment. No, it's, it's something we're super excited about. Um, disruption is going to happen whether you like it or not. Transformation is going to happen whether you like it or not. It's moving faster and faster. The streets are filled with VC money these days and hungry, aggressive entrepreneurs who are looking for their next project. It's not hard to get money. It's not hard to take to, to stand up a company and, and make a big swing for something you work really hard at. Not to mention the fact, Tom, that so many organizations, um, they have tunnel vision, right? We all, we all have blind spots. We all have areas that um, which, you know, we're not aware of, areas of our life that we, we need to have some more knowledge on. So we said, well, what if we could give you a fresh pair of eyes? I'm an old-fashioned hunter. I've made over 100,000 cold calls in my career. I've built relationships with my clients with some of the biggest companies in the world at the director, VP, or even C-level. So I've got a pretty good idea of what it takes to uh, make a run at somebody and create some momentum really, really fast. And I thought, well, what if we can help some folks have a shot at doing that to themselves before somebody else shows up and, and does it? Not to mention the fact that I think it's a, it's a great exercise in finding out where your industry is headed, what to build for, finding differentiated content, and building some relationships in the marketplace that you don't already have. And we do all that for you. So it's interesting because when I first kind of read about you, I started looking at my business. Now, I'm a solopreneur. I'm a little different than probably a lot of the people you work with. But I looked at my industry. I look at this world of professional speakers who are going into association and corporate events. And we're going through some disruption, but nobody really knows what's happening. The associations don't know what's happening. Uh, people are trying to hire. They're, they're, they're playing catch up, trying to you know make decisions of what type of speaker they want. But I don't think anybody's ever really looked at this industry and said, said, you know, where, where is this going and what does it really mean? And so I've been sort of uh, fascinated with this idea, not so much for my own business, but from this whole world of, of speakers at association events of where is that disruption coming from? Because it's already happening. No, you're absolutely right. And your industry in particular, as a matter of fact, there's somebody I want to introduce you to um, offline when we, we get done with this. But if I'm a speaker and I'm thinking about your industry, what about gamification? How, how do I engage with the audience in a fresh way? How do I get them to participate? How do I make it an interactive experience on a much deeper, a much deeper and a much richer level? How do we take some of these conferences and take them to the next level? Those are kind of things I would be thinking about. You're obviously brilliant. You've had 550 podcasts. You've been doing this for a really long time. You've got a great reputation. How do you take your game to the next level? And how do you take your, your excellent skills in this arena that you've honed over time? And I'm sure you banged your head against the wall a few times and had a, had a little bit of brain damage in getting to where you are today. But how do you take what you paid a pound of flesh for, mix it in with some technology that drives even better results for your clients? And, and maybe even more measurable results. Well, that and I also got this thing kind of stuck in my mind after, you know, we set up this interview last week I, and I was reading about your company. I got it stuck in my mind that I said, why aren't I the one disrupting? Right, right. That's the, that's the fun part about this. We are an accelerator. We are a conduit to allow you to disrupt it in a way that is boots on the ground. We don't like theory. And the second thing is the Austin agency is uh, custom insights and data have expiration dates, right? You can get an insight today. If you don't take action on it, it's either gone in the next three to six months or your competition has taken action on it. So why aren't you the first one to do so? And so what we try to be is that conduit where we can accelerate things by getting you custom insights through new and valuable relationships. We've built all kinds of tools, Tom, purchase propensity scores, budget propensity scores, buyer intent matrices. I mean, we can give you qual qualitative and quantitative. But the whole premise is 
you don't have to be stuck or you could be growing a lot faster than what you are. And we can help you find those sweet spots that will give you a first mover advantage and, uh, and allow you to build a moat around it before your competition shows up. So who are your ideal? I mean, I'm not, but who are your ideal customers? What is the type of company you work with? What is what does that avatar look like? We, we, you know, it's great. Great question. We, we, uh, we range everywhere from companies that have procured a Series A all the way up to the Fortune 1000 and everything in between. Hmm. We like serious teams with serious people trying to solve serious problems. They, can, they, they know what to do with custom insights. They appreciate them. They value acceleration and speed. They're willing to throw a little investment into getting that. And they're looking for ways to outmaneuver their competition. They're looking for ways to outperform. You know, once once the early mover advantage is gone for a lot of companies, or if you're an, if you're an incumbent, differentiation is really really tough. Continued ongoing differentiation is really really tough. And I'll give you an example. We work with products people and marketing people, innovation folks. We we kind of span a company. But let's take marketing for a second, just to double click on that to give your audience maybe a little bit more of an example, which is, in it, content creation is a real pressure point for marketing organizations. And let me differentiate it, content creation, precise content, hard-hitting content, content that drives action is really tough. And what we allow an organization and their, their marketing department is to access custom insights they can monetize right away, fill it into their, their existing stack. You know, these companies are filled with smart people. I mean, they're filled with smart people. It's not, you don't have a people problem. You don't have a smart problem, right? You've got smart people. You have an insight problem. You have an access problem. And that's what we try to bridge. So we're looking for leaders, um, usually to have some pressure points, usually have a PL or pretty close to a PL that want to or need to see some, some accelerated growth fast. They need to pull away from the competition and create some new outcomes for their organizations very, very quickly. Hmm. Um, my big why in doing this is I read an article five or six years ago now where if somebody loses their job, there's a 63% increase in the likelihood of them dying, which is a pretty sobering statistic. <laughs> and I just started thinking to myself, there is no reason for people to be stuck. We, we can truly help them move beyond any risk that they might be facing today, or at least a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? You obviously work with a lot of them from funded startups up through large, super large companies. What advice do you have for people who you called yourself a reluctant entrepreneur? What advice yes. do you have for people who uh, maybe they've been reluctant or, or maybe they fell into it or maybe they're totally gung ho, but they they need to get that push? The number one challenge I see for entrepreneur and the entrepreneurial class, and this this might even apply to intrapreneurs. I mean, I'd love to have a whole conversation about intrapreneurs as well, because I think that's an interesting tribe that often gets overlooked. But let's stick with entrepreneurs. The biggest challenge I see for entrepreneurs is that they don't know the difference between why some, what somebody pays for and what somebody buys. They don't understand that. So what they end up doing is they end up building solutions and marketing to what somebody will pay for without fully understanding why somebody's buying a product. And so they get too technical. They miss the emotional connection to it. They get too technical and they fall into the trap of, well, I've built a better widget. And because of that, that should be obvious that you should, you should purchase my, my solution. In the real world, especially if you want enterprise sales, it just doesn't work that way. There are a lot of environmental factors that come into a purchase. So let me give you an example, right? I'm a, I'm a single guy. And if I go out and buy a gym membership, what am I buying, right? I'm, 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 what am I paying for? I'm paying for um, stress release, dopamine, feeling good, sweating a little bit, you know, all the, all the healthy factors of why we go to the gym. What am I buying? Maybe 
I don't know, just maybe the opportunity to go on a few more dates, right? Or, or feel a little bit better about myself when I do. It's, it's a little bit of an interesting example, but my point is entrepreneurs need to fully tap into the IQ, which they often do, but they completely miss the EQ of why an organization purchases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's I think that's right right on the money. So how do you help an entrepreneur kind of see that difference between between what they they buy and what what they what they really want? How do you help the person really get their focus around that? The first thing you have to do is I'm a big believer in co-creating with your marketplace. Believe it or not, the marketplace is dying to co-create something with companies out there. They are so fed up with. Um, one size fits all or solutions that, that, that meet some of the requirements, but not others. And so the first thing I would say is you need to build a very solid advisory board. If you're just a startup entrepreneur or whatever, you got to build an advisory board with executives from your target market who can tell you exactly why they buy, what motivates them, what, what, what will help you, what would help, let me think this one through, I don't want to say it. How do you position your organization so it can move through their system politically very safe, right? If you're coming in with something, everyone likes to talk about disruption. It's disruptive. This is disruptive. Are you kidding? If you're trying to make an enterprise sale and you're talking about disruption, they hear risk and scary and danger. You think you're, nailing the, you think you're, you think you're reaching them and you're scaring them, right? They may take the meeting because they're intrigued and they want to see what's happening in the marketplace, but you have to connect um, in a way that's more intelligent. So not only validating what you're building and why they should purchase it, how would I have to position this so procurement would say yes? How do I take, how would I, how would I have to position this so my boss is going to say yes? So I would think much more in terms of, instead of disruption, think in terms of supplementation. How do we supplement what they're already doing? How can we plug into what they're already doing and make it an easy decision for them to say yes and give you a shot? So, Ruben, one of the things I talk about when I go into companies is I talk about this gap that exists between potential, which we get really excited about. We hire Becky and we're so excited because she has so much potential. But then a year mm-hmm. later, we're, we're transitioning her out of the firm and the results people get, the performance that we see from people. So often we hire people into our companies and they interview as one person and we know that that person is inside of them, but they show up day to day and they perform differently. So why do you think some people are able to get across this gap between potential and performance and just excel when other people sort of get stuck in the middle or, or they fall into the abyss? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I'm assuming you're talking about if I come in as a candidate, I, I nailed the interview, but then it, it's a disappointing performance for the next 12 months. Sure. Is that what you're talking about? Well, that's, okay. that's one aspect, but yes. Well, let's, let's exclude cultural factors like, hey, you just made a bad pick on a company, right? Maybe the company didn't represent themselves well either. So there could be, hey, the company's not representing themselves well and the individual's not representing themselves well. There's a whole bunch of environmental factors. But let's say you have a rock star company where people tend to thrive. And so you interview this person, you hire them, you're super excited, you're investing a lot of time and money to get them ramped up and they just don't perform. And what I would say there is one of the questions I'm always interested in when interviewing people is tell me about a time in your life when you failed and failed miserably. And I, and I try to move away from stock answers. I mean, I want something, you know, pretty gritty because a, a lot of type A personalities, they've never failed at anything or much in their life. They're, they're used to doors opening. They're used to people saying, yes, you know, they're used to winning. And if your company becomes the first place where they struggle, you start seeing somebody who has a hard time coping with that. And shame. We don't, I don't think we talk enough. Brene Brown talks a lot about shame, but I think that's very relevant, shame. And so is it a culture that allows people to say, hey, I'm struggling and I need help? 
Because if they're left to fend for themselves, I think that could be a very dangerous predicament for both the individual and the organization. And so the, I think we're looking for individuals, individuals that can't ask for help or have never had failure before and know how to handle it, know how to self-moderate, know, ask, know to, how to ask for help, I think can often lead to that performance gap. Well, it is interesting how many of these super top performers I interview who talk about that one of their skills is they're able to ask for help. They're able yes. to admit yes. when something's not going right. And, and you know, they don't point fingers. They don't blame, you know, Marianne or Bob on the team. If they're not performing, they realize it's something within them and they, and they take that ownership. And yet there's some people who just don't know how. And it's interesting because you pointed out maybe they've never had to. I hadn't thought about it that way. Sometimes I always think it's just the ego that they're not going to tell you where they've right. struggled. But you're right. Some people, all they've known is success. Well, and so much of a person's self-worth, especially early in my career, I, I don't know, I, I would love to hear your take on this. Uh, so much of my self-worth was tied in performance, right? I mean, my blood pressure went up and down with my bank account, right? My blood pressure went up and down with what reports I got. And so performance became 80% of my self-worth or maybe even more. I was so tied into performance equaling self-worth. And so if you're in a situation where you're struggling, being able to uncollapse those two structures, no, you are a fully worthy human being. And there's something right now that is not working for you. And how, let's figure that out. Let's, let's separate the two issues. And I think if you've got a solid leader who can help somebody guide somebody through that in a very safe and esteeming way, that might be the best bet. Because companies ideally do not want to go out and hire again. They, they saw a lot of potential in this individual. And I think they would like to try to redeem that, make it a redeemable experience for both parties. No, I definitely. In fact, they say that replacing an employee costs a ton of money. So you're better off trying to turn it around if possible, you know, if, if, if you can. You bring up an interesting point because – I went through a whole stage of my life, probably far too long, where my self-worth was tied up in my career success. And, right, right. you know, I, I, I hung other parts of my life where maybe I was struggling and I just grabbed hold of, of you know, my career success as my, my whole identity. And it took me a long time to get to the point that I realized that whether I do well at work or, or I suck at work. I'm still a pretty good guy. I don't need, yeah, you know, I don't, right. I don't need that, which leads me to another question that I've been asking some of the people who come on this show. Well, can, uh, can we double click on that for one second? Oh, yes. Are, are, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh oh. If yeah. that, if that, if the environment's not there for that, I think it leads to, it can lead to very predatory organizations because it's all about my self worth equals my performance. And so consequently, I'm going to burn some folks, backstab some folks, not collaborate. Because I have to be so hyper-protective of me and my and my turf, and that can lead to a very unhealthy and toxic culture. Uh, there's a great book out there called An Everybody Culture. It was written by a bunch of Harvard psychologists where they, they, they went into some organizations that are just killing it. They're absolutely killing it. And interestingly enough, vulnerability was the common thread around us at all. The ability to say, I need help. I'm not good at this. And then learning how to enroll other people into your vision and trading skill sets. Hmm. So you and I are colleagues. I say, you know what, Tom? I do this much better than you do. You do this much better than I do. How about we leverage each other's strengths and drive some mutual goals and creating that, creating that culture where you can really leverage each other in a very unique, non-threatening way. Hmm. Fascinating. And that I was about to go into this other thing that leads to this whole other question. So uh, Brian Tracy, who is a famous yep. speaker, who's you know more towards retirement age now, but he's still out there working, uh, was one of the people who inspired me to get into this business. One of the things he said 30 years ago was to be successful in business you have to sort of take some ownership to like yourself because there's going to be times when other people don't. Yeah. How important do you think that is? And, and how often do you think like sometimes entrepreneurs forget to put that attention on, on liking themselves and not tying their self-worth to maybe performance? 
Well, it's interesting because a lot of entrepreneurs are very damaged human beings. I mean that in a very loving way, right? And, and I think there's a, there's a two-edged sword. A lot of us have something to prove, right? We have some, some fear, doubt, and insecurity, and, and we want to prove to the world, and we want to make a difference. I think there's a healthy side of the entrepreneurism where, hey, we want to make a difference. And then there can be the unhealthy side where is how much of this is, am, I, am I, how much of this has to look a certain way in order for me to feel all right and to feel safe, so to speak. And I think being okay with your perfectly imperfect self is, is, a, is a lifelong struggle for a lot of us. But that's why I think we find freedom in the fact that, hey, man, I'm not my performance, that I'm a worthy human being regardless of my performance. And that doesn't mean that you abuse that either and you slack off. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think you take your best shot at something, you you let it play, and you see what happens. The culture and outcome is actually a little bit interesting. Um, as long as you can prove that you weren't negligent on a, on a big on a big bet or big decision, look, you'll probably keep your job. You know, like it. it we, we, I don't think you can have massive success without quite a bit of failure. I think the Siamese twins because it's that experimentation. And as luck as uh, as much as we all love to think that we can just nail a value proposition right out of the bat. Luck does play a role, right? And luck comes from hard work and experimentation where you lock onto something and, you, man, you just run with it. Mm-hmm. So did I answer your question? No, oh, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And in fact, Ruben, I've got a couple of more questions for you. But Please. first, but I can't get there yet because first I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Ruben Abutarbi. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, Jump over now to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Ruben, I call this show cool things entrepreneurs do. What's, mm. what's the coolest thing you're doing in business right now? The coolest thing I'm doing in business right now is, uh, is being given permission to disrupt organizations. <laughs> I mean, that is just the coolest thing to come in and creating a safe environment a, a, a uh, confidential environment. We just get to war game and play around and test concepts with decision makers in your target market to see which what what are the best next steps to take. So I think that's pretty pretty cool. And building a team, I love building teams. I love different dynamics and bringing people on board. How large is your team now? Uh, we got about uh, five people right now. Okay. And what are your growth plans for the for the near and the far? We're going to be very selective in our growth plans. We're building an agency right now, uh, very much along the lines of Jerry Maguire, if you remember that old movie, right? Where <laughs> show, it's, show me the money. Need, show me the money. But, but you know, it's interesting. I, I uh, hadn't watched that movie in like 20 years. I saw it again recently. And it's funny how it hits you in different stages of life, right? Where you identify with different parts of the character. Um, we don't need 500 clients. We, we, we are going to be very selective about the organizations we think we can help and create a tremendous amount of value for. And then we want to, we want to, try to be a long-term partner for them and help them win. So, so we're all about the relationship. We, we, we're going to grow organically and, uh, and just do it one step at a time. So how do people get in touch with you? If they want to find out more about what you do and, and this whole phantom customer concept, how do people find you? Well, if they want to learn more about phantom competitor, red teaming, and some of the great tools we built and, some, and the unique approach that we've pioneered, 
being old-fashioned hunters ourselves, just have them email me at Ruben, so R-E-U-B-E-N, at theaustin.agency. And again, theaustin.agency. That's us. Awesome. So, Ruben, I asked the people who come on this show who they admire in the world of entrepreneurs, because we could talk about you and about the Austin agency probably for hours. However, I think great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So I love to know when, when you look out into the entrepreneur sphere, who do you say, wow, she or he, they're doing the cool things? Yeah, I've got a whole list of heroes that I this because people that are messy and flawed, but they're doing big things and just going for it. Um, Tyler Perry, I think, is super super interesting. I've been lo- looking a lot at his work. Howard Schultz, I just read his book Onward about turning around Starbucks, not the founding book, but how you have to turn it around. And the, the book I read recently that really blew me away was Who Is Michael Orbitz by Michael Orbitz. You may not know him, but he founded an agency in Hollywood in 1975 called Creative artist agency oh, I've, for I over know, 20 create, years I'm they sure, dominate for the creative artist sure yeah they, they 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 dominate and they've continued to dominate even after he left and what i, I like i like i like people and entrepreneurs that are just very candid about their strengths and, and weaknesses you know they're they're, they're, they're just po- pretty open-minded i also like people that are very generous with the team it, it's not about the entrepreneur it's really about the supporting cast that you have you know you're only as smart as your people so i like folks that really um honor the folks that help them become or take them to where they've gone. Mm-hmm. The other question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think as entrepreneurs, I, I think we're fortunate. And if you're fortunate, you got to find your way to give back. So what do you do? Uh, you know, great question. I love mentorship. I love spending one-on-one, one-on-one time with people. I think that's fascinating. Give them a different perspective, maybe even open a few doors. Uh, my, my greatest thrill is being in a meeting with two people that wouldn't have met each other if it hadn't been for my facilitation. It's just something about the chain reaction that comes out of that. So love one-on-one mentorship. That's why we're giving back right now. And then we're going we're gonna to roll out some, we're going to roll out a conference and we're going to roll out some other things where we're going to invite some heavy hitters and some up-and-comers, some folks that would benefit from playing a bigger game. So that's, that's my way of giving back right now. Nice. So any last words for the listeners? I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do because there's a lot of people out there doing cool stuff and wanting to do cool stuff. And, you know, I always say success leaves clues. So any specific clues you want to leave behind before you go? No, man, if you're an entrepreneur, my, my hat's off to you. I hold you in extremely high regard. You're an incredibly brave human being. And I, and I, I think that you're part of changing the world. So whatever legacy you'll have, you'll be part of that generation to help change the world. And I think that's a pretty cool concept. And people can find you at theaustin.agency. Is that correct? Theaustin.agency. That's us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on the show. Likewise. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. No, it was fun. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this? It's all about sharing ideas and thoughts and concepts and theories with those of you who listen to the show. So please, if you're part of this show family, make sure you're following us on all the social medias. You can find me at Tom Singer, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R, TomSinger.com, and also at Cool Podcast on Twitter if you're one who tweets. All right, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Ruben. And you're thinking, no way. You're thinking, how will you find somebody that cool? But I do it every single time. So uh, go on out there. Make sure your ladder's against the right wall. Try some new things. And while you're doing all that, have a great day. 
Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.